Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about reporting. To talk about that topic, I have as my guest, Sarah James. She has over 30 years of experience teaching, writing, publishing, and she has a corporate experience in the U.S. and Europe. Sarah provides report writing training worldwide through her business, Getting Words to Work. She's a certified internal auditor and has written numerous articles on language and reporting and spoken at national and international internal audit and risk conferences. She is the author of Radical Reporting, Writing Better Audit, Risk Compliance, and IT Security Reports, which just came out on April 27th. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. John, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, and it's great to see you again. All right. Yes, great to see you too. Uh, I think this is going to be a really good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. So, I'll I'll, I'll start with the with the need or you know a more general question from the beginning, and we'll 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 get to the more complicated ones later on. So, reporting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I remember when we talked about this about a month ago. It's like it's that time of you know that phase of the audit where. You know, you want to kill each other. Everybody wants to kill each other because it's such a painful process for everybody involved, you know? Yeah. So my question to you is, why is it so painful? And what can we do to make it less painful? It's an excellent question. And the, the answer will maybe make people hope or despair. Um. The reason it's painful is because it's painful for everyone. Writing is painful for everyone. And um, all humans who write find it painful. And I think most of us would agree, even the first and second lines would agree, that internal auditors are usually humans. Um, (laughs) However, in the third line, and even in the second line, we've got an extra little twist to it, which is we're usually not delivering good news. Most internal audit reports are not telling people how wonderful they are and how surpassingly excellent their grasp of risk and control frameworks is. We're usually um, pointing out anything from persistent um, problems to dumpster fires. And no one wants to hear about that. So you've got the pain that is involved in any writing. And as a writer and an editor, I see it from both sides of the the equation. And then you also have the fact that, as I say, um, we're rarely tossing the rose petals at people. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it it is. So you're, you're, you're not definitely not delivering good news. So what can you know, what can you do about it to make it a little, a little better, you know, a little less painful? Yeah, I think one thing people need to do, first of all, is to stop and take a breath and take a step back. And I would say do that. Ideally, throughout the audit engagement, we should be doing it anyway. We should be pausing, taking stock, discussing the observations, you know, issues, findings, whatever you're calling them, certainly already talking about root cause and discussing it with the first line. Um, Because the more preparation you're putting in to the final message throughout the engagement, 
you know, the less you're going to have to compress and um, negotiate and argue about in that last week or so, because we all know however much time in your audit planning you allocate to the drafting and reviewing of the report, it always gets compressed. We know that. So, you know, start talking about things ahead of time. So planning is crucial. And the other thing I always beg people to use is plain language, not just in reports, but throughout all audit engagements. And it actually will make you conform to um, professional international standard 2420 equality of communications, which applies not only to reports, but to all of our communications and audit engagements, clear, concise, accurate, timely, etc, etc, etc. If you use plain language, keep it short and sharp and concise and clear. Mm-hmm. You know, you waste less time, there's less room for misunderstanding, and it just makes all the subsequent stages easier. Yeah, something that you mentioned there, the clear, concise, it reminds me of, uh, I remember someone in internal audit, you know, used to talk to, tell me about the three C's, clear, concise, and convincing, right? That's the the last C. So I, I think you're spot on on what you said there, as far as like, you know, be upfront about it don't don't make it so it's like a surprise at the end right so it's absolutely like no surprises approach right i was gonna say you know it's it's it would be unethical of us to spring surprises on people that sort of gotcha approach never serves any purpose and it's certainly not going to help relationships and i love clear concise and convincing and i would add two more c's to that i tell people that when they use plain language not picking a fight but just you know just the facts ma'am tell it how it is it comes across as credible and compelling you know and there is a huge difference in the business world between organizations who communicate clearly and concisely and treat their customers and their suppliers and their employees as adults mm-hmm. and those who try to fudge things and hide things and you know they 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 waffle and they use jargon and buzzwords and one thing and another and it's just not very trustworthy and so, you know, we need to use plain language and trust that the readers will take it in good faith and respond accordingly. Yeah. And yeah, the key, respond ac- accordingly, right? Because the mm. point of it is to to drive action at the end of the day. So yeah. uh, thinking about like, you know, driving action and a lot of people kind of get stuck into like, what's the best report format? And <laughs> should it be like, you know, should I describe as much as possible and have a five, six page document or even more? Or should it be like, you know, just one page? As far as like report formats, do you have a favorite one? And you know, well, if you do have a favorite one, why is that your favorite one? Well, the first thing to say is to remind everyone that according to the international standards, we don't actually have to produce a report. All we Very have to point. do is communicate results. So as I say to people, you know, you can produce a report or you could um, do interpretive dance or cave painting, you know, whatever you like, as long as it prompts your readers to take action and improve the risk and control framework in that area. Great. Uh, Most people use reports. I have to say my favorite format I've seen so far is email. 
So those functions, and they are sadly very few, who have dared themselves to actually um, report what they found simply in the body of a brief email, they get, you know, full marks from me. Definitely. Okay. okay. So just to be clear, because when you said yeah. email, some people may think, oh, it's, you know, it's the PDF that's attached to the email. No, we're nope. talking about the, the, the body report, of the email. Everything it's in that email. Yeah. Obviously using hyperlinks <laughs> you know, for further information. Uh-huh. But um, I mean, I say, obviously, that's in the functions that I've seen using them. So what do they do in the subject heading? They put the title of the audit and the date, and the rating. Mm -hmm. You open up the email, and in the body, they start with the executive summary, and it's just a few sentences, because people's attention spans aren't great nowadays, let's remember. And then they include the top uh, findings or observations, and that's by risk level. Okay, with hyperlinks for more detail. And then they would say, you know, we found some lower level um, findings and also observations for improvement. Follow the link to see these here. If you want to read about background or scope, go to the link here. Um, Functions who don't have the IT infrastructure to support hyperlinks and things like that, or at least securely, or who maybe can't trust their employees to access things securely. They'll simply put out a summary and say, please let us know if you want any details of anything. So it's not withholding information. It's saying it's here, come and get it if you want it. But this is what is most relevant to um, really 90% of you and the 10% who want all of the detail. We're happy to share that separately, but they're not making people plow through pages and pages of text. They're not even making people open attachments and then try to read them because people are starting to travel again. So remember how often people are using handheld devices. If you know an important audit report is coming out, how much more useful is it to you as a reader to be able to just click open on a secure email and see what you need right there? Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. And a couple of things come to mind as you're talking about that. First, you know, the everybody's reading stuff on on their handheld devices, right? Their their yeah. phone, or you know, I've heard of like board members they they they're just looking at the tablet during meetings versus you know looking at the PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and the other thing that comes to mind is I did an advisory project once, and uh, as part of that advisory project, we agree with the client, with, you know, the auditee that instead of reporting, instead of like all this formal stuff, we would just, we we're just going to send emails. And the director of that area was like, I love it. <laughs> they, they like that type of communication. So I, that's, I, I think that's not a, a very conventional way of reporting, Sarah. So, but it's that's, not, that's, but I think it's effective if we, put ourselves in the reader's shoes. And I think very often we get all caught up in what we want to tell people about how hard we've worked, how much testing we've done, how thorough we've been, every little thing we thought of. And all that is true, but it's not relevant. And you think, if I'm the reader and I have a 
dozen things to do before lunchtime and I'm probably not even going to get to lunch and my brain's going to fall over by 3 p.m. Would I rather read a 10 or 20 or 30 page report because I'm still seeing those or would I rather just be able to click on an email and know instantly, you know, is this all the info I need to make a decision or do I need some more info? You know, I'm not having to go through extra steps. Very often auditors I think we write defensively because going back to the point I made earlier, we're not delivering good news. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. All right, switching gears a little bit here. And uh, so the the question is, how do you address never-ending wordsmithing? And I'll give you a little (laughs) personal story here before. Please. Yeah, before you can answer that. So as my very first uh, project as an internal auditor, uh, had an in-charge, the person would send, it, it wasn't like reporting, but it was like work paper material. So it's yeah. not that I was writing. I'll get back on like several notes, like correct this, correct that. I'm like, okay. So and I corrected and second project, different in-charge. I don't think I improved a whole lot in my writing between the first and the second, but the second one is like, oh, looks good, you know? I'm like, okay. So I felt more confident. Third one, different in charge again. And it would correct me too. It would send, send stuff back. And it's like, you need to correct this, this, and that. So to me, as I was learning that, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to adapt my writing to each in charge. Yeah. And okay. I, I think that can be an approach uh, in internal audit that people take. They can just adapt their writing to the style of whoever is reviewing. But then the question is, what if that person is someone who, you know, one week they're like, oh, let's write it this way. And then the following week, oh, I don't think this sound, sounds good. Let's change it. <laughs> so how would you address that one? There are so many elements to what you've just said. And, you know, I used to do QA in an audit function. And when I would review work papers um, and indeed entire audit files afterwards, Um, The writing style was usually a clue as to the quality of the fieldwork and the quality of review of working papers, because the less clear it was, the harder it would have been for anyone to read it, let alone the poor in charge who had to review things. So there are several elements to this, and I've seen it from all different angles. Um, I'd say, first of all, what you're talking about with the different styles, it becomes even more complex and risky when you've got these really big audit functions where there could be seven layers of review and you get into that process of submitting it to the person above you who asks you to change things, you change it, and then the person above them wants it changed back. And then it's, you know, a step forward, two steps back all throughout the process. I think several things are going on. So my first piece of advice is, again, plain language. Keep it short, keep it sharp, keep it simple, clear, concise, convincing. If for no other reason than the less you write, the less you're giving somebody else to interfere with. So if you're in charge of somebody who just cannot resist putting their muddy paw prints all over everyone else's work just to prove that they've, you know, been there and done something, give them less. Many reviewers, though, I have some sympathy with because I've seen completely incomprehensible reports. 
and even working papers. And I thought, how are you supposed to review this? You don't even understand what it means. And I say to people I train, put yourself in your reviewer's shoes. You're all ready to criticize. But if the reviewer came back and said, I think that looks fine, send it out, what would you assume? And they'd say, oh, they hadn't read it. I said, well, how can they win? Poor things. You know, if they don't intervene and they let you develop, you think they're being lazy. If they do intervene, you think that they're frustrated novelists who just need to get a life. Some of them, it's true. Um, I have two or three times recommended to people that they actually sign up for creative writing night classes (laughs) (laughs) just to get them off other people's backs. And uh, one guy is now an award-winning short story writer um, because he channeled those energies. So keep it short, keep it sharp, keep it simple. Um, If you're a reviewer and somebody gives you 10 pages of just incomprehensible verbiage and says, oh, this is my draft and it needs to go out by 5 p.m. I think most reviewers panic and they stare at it and they read and they try to reread and they try to re-reread and then they think, I've got to do something. And they end up tinkering around the edges. And that's when you get that endearing habit of people who replace the word however with nevertheless throughout or change particularly to in particular, which is wordsmithing. But it's just because what's in front of them is so overwritten and so detailed, and so, Mm -hmm. in many cases, Mm ill-structured, that they can't even begin to untangle it to look at the substance. And that's what the reviewer should be doing. So the writers have got to keep it clear, concise, to the point, short sentences, simple words, use the active rather than the passive voice. Mm -hmm. If you can do that, it's a sign that actually, you know, you have completed your field work, you've got sound findings, and you are in a position to report them. And that then makes it easier for the reviewer to look at it and say something useful, such as, hmm, exact summary kind of of writes a check that the findings don't cash, or why does the tone change halfway through, or I think there's too much detail in the exact summary, things like that, rather than, I don't like that word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I think you're right uh, about it starts with the work that's being done, not like not, not when it gets to the report phase. It has to be well documented, well explained, and concisely explained during field work and th- when we're getting the work papers done uh, during that phase. And it has that, to be right is, from the beginning, you know, yeah. and, and I've done QA where I've said, why is this even a finding? And people start looking shifty and I say, tell me exactly what the risk is. And they just spew out a load of failed controls. They say, yeah, it's true, but not relevant. You know, those are lots of things, but they ain't risks. And it's because they've lost sight of risk-based internal auditing about a third of the way through the field work. Um, And I would say over the past 10 years, I've had more and more heads of audit saying to me that it's only when the report gets up to them after three, four, five, six, seven layers of review, Mm -hmm. and they start asking some hard, clear, concise questions, that they're realizing how many gaps there are in the actual fieldwork, and they're having Mm -hmm. to do backfill. And my view is, 
yep. you know, draft report stage is way too late for that. So I think a lot of the back and forth and the completely counterproductive, stress-inducing reviewing practices, they either reveal a lot of confusion about the work itself at every level, or in some cases, I have come across line managers, reviewers who've been badly burned a couple of times by the first line and then try to over-control the risk by policing every single word that goes out. And it doesn't actually control the risk. It just increases the turnover in their teams. Uh, exactly. <laughs> because <laughs> I think that's during reporting phase, it's like, okay, do, you know, should I be applying for other jobs? <laughs> well, it, yeah. it is. And I, th I was thinking about what you were saying just now about your, you know, that one in charge does this and another in charge does that. And I've thought about some reviewers I've seen who've said, you must come and, um, you know, train my team because I have to rewrite everything that they produce. And I say, okay, first thing, you're coming on the training and I'm taking your pen away. Um, because very often, I would say 90% of the time, if there's excessive wordsmithing, it's really like arguing about wallpaper when the house is not structurally sound. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a good analogy. Yeah. So I would also say if, if you notice the language and if you get hung up on the language, there's already a problem. Yeah. You know, the, the language yep. should be so clear that you're not even pausing to think, oh, let me look at that excellent turn of phrase that John just produced. You know, how did he encapsulate in so few words the sheer cluelessness of the first line about what ERM really is? Um, you know, if you pause and sort of admire it or puzzle over it, there's a problem. It should just be a, a direct shot of information to the reader. Yeah. yeah. Sheer clueliness. That's good. <laughs> uh, so, all right. For so for those in, you know, when when I get some best practices, some tips here from you, for those in a manager position or, or above, mm -hmm. where yeah. they're receiving kind of exactly what we were just talking about, but they're receiving the report, and they're like, okay, and I, I need to change, you know. And we were talking about this right before we started the episode. Writing skills are one thing, editing skills are another thing. So can you clearly uh, distinguish those for those who are listening? And also, what are some best practices editing skills? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I have to start by saying I've got a particular angle on this because I've been a professional writer in two languages for over 30 years. And I've also worked in publishing professionally in France, the US and the UK. So I've got my slant on this. And I would say that the best editors I've worked with are also professional writers. And we see things from both angles. But I've also come across wonderful reviewers in the workplace, people who aren't professional writers, but they are sensitive and thoughtful writers. And that makes them sensitive and thoughtful reviewers. And people who think that editing is rewriting in your own style are missing the point. And an analogy that a lot of professional editors have used for many decades is being a midwife. And they'll say being an editor 
on a manuscript is like being a midwife. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how much you invest, or how close you become, um, you know, to the author, <laughs> it's not your baby. And so the first thing I'd say to reviewers is put the pen down or cover up the keyboard, take a piece of cardboard, I'm not kidding you, and put that over the keyboard. Because if you're reviewing for substance, you want to read the whole thing without being distracted by, oh, there's a typo, and I'd say it this way, and why haven't they started talking about X? Well, maybe X is on page three and it belongs there. Read the whole thing, get a sense of the whole. Mm -hmm. And then I think the best thing to do is have a conversation. Ask, don't tell, mm -hmm. and listen. Mm -hmm. As a reviewer of an audit report, be an internal auditor. What is it we're supposed to do? We're supposed to ask good questions mm -hmm. and listen to the answers. So ask the writer. Even if you start by saying, I wasn't entirely clear what you meant by this. Can you tell me more about it? That's going to get you further than just plunging in and rewriting it. Because even if a deadline is pressing, it's very high risk to rewrite something that you think is unclear because that just introduces perhaps a misinterpretation. And we've all seen cases where, you know, the final report that goes out bears no relation to the first draft. Yep. And there can actually be some very serious substantive misunderstandings that arise. And then if audit has to correct that, what does that do in terms of reputation and credibility? So put the pen down and ask, don't tell. Um, the only other thing I'd say is I think reviewers should set very high standards for the quality of the document as it comes in. So writers should use spell check, grammar check, use readability stats, read it out loud. People with dyslexia, get a review buddy mm -hmm. so that the draft that goes to the reviewer doesn't have any what I would call speed bumps for the eyes and the brain. Right, you know, so right. that you're you're helping the reviewer do what they want to do, which is review the content. Um, they've got better things to do than pick up on a typo on page seven. You know, there yeah. there may be typos. We're human; these things happen. But um, you know, in the world of publishing, when you're in the editorial process, there will be typos, formatting glitches, things like that. It's not a big deal. You let it go unless it changes the meaning. Yeah. Um, you're going to fix all of this at the end because to go back to the house analogy, you know, you're sinking the foundations, you're building the walls, you're putting the plumbing and the wiring in. That is not the time to be sort of running the vacuum cleaner around and picking bits of fluff off the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, what, what you said there about the reviewer, you know, ask, don't tell. If they just change it, you know, I think it just perpetuates, you know, the problem, right? Because if they get a report that's not, you know, in their view, well-written, and they just change it, it's not giving an opportunity to the person who's writing to improve or, you know, to make it more concise and clear and so forth. So there, yeah. it sounds like there's work to be done on both sides, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it helps people develop their skills because you want people to develop as strong writers and to also view what good reviewing practice is so they in turn become good supportive reviewers. Mm -hmm. It's also um, missing the opportunity to spot any flaws in um, knowledge or logic. Mm 
Because if you just change something rather than saying to the auditor, tell me more about this, mm-hmm. you might be missing the chance to say, oh, okay, um, I'm not sure that's actually a low rating. Let's pause and have a look at this. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're giving them an opportunity to, you know, think critically as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just a uh, last question here. Uh, overall suggestion to those who maybe are not, uh, you know, still reviewing documents, maybe they're just more actively writing work papers or writing reports. What is, you know, if you had to just give one, one less suggestion to those who are in the t- trenches, what, what would it be? In the trenches? Um, I think it goes back to conversations. So just as we should be having conversations throughout um, the audit engagement, you know, no surprises, things like that, bring an element of conversation into the writing. And what I mean by that is read everything you write out loud. That is the single most useful tip. Two things. First of all, if you know that you'll have to read everything out loud, you're going to write less. Right. <laughs> You're not going to engage in the lazy old copy and paste. Um, you know, y- you will be held accountable because you'll have to read it out loud. And when you read it out loud, you'll suddenly hear if anything sounds like, you know, a load of corporate waffle or if it sounds um weak or vague or simply completely illogical. Sometimes we write things down and because we're in our own heads, we go from A to G and you read it out loud and you think that's going to make no sense to the poor reader. (laughs) They're going to think, how did you get to a major regulatory risk from that? Um, So yeah, read out loud. And I say to people, read what you write out loud Fix what doesn't sound right and trust yourselves because you'll be right more often than you give yourselves credit for. People just need to, I think, trust their instincts. They say, well, you know, if I read it out loud um, and change it accordingly, it might not sound professional. It might not sound sophisticated or elevated. Nobody cares about that. They just want something they can read without, um, you know, having to go lie down. Um, immediately afterwards <laughs> to recover. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, if you can read it out loud and it sounds borderline normal and human, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what you said earlier, too, about just asking someone to, you know, read it with you as well, I think, I think that's a great idea because, you know, sometimes we write a report or we write a work paper and it's kind of like our baby, right? And maybe yeah. we don't see, you know, stuff that, Others like, what do you mean by this? <laughs> yeah, so. and, and a good way to do that without it becoming too confrontational is to me to say, for instance, hey, John, can you have a look at this finding? And I won't say anything else. Just read that and tell me what sort of is the, the, the clearest message you get from that. You know, can you just give me what, what do you think is the headline? And right. if you come back and say, oh, I think it's very clear that there's no IT governance then I'll say, okay, that's what I meant to convey. Good stuff. If you come back and you say, um, I'm not quite sure. There seem to be six different competing messages here. I need to know that. Yeah. Great, great, great tip. Appreciate 
you being on the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for those. Thank you, John. Yes, yes. It's a it's a very you know it's always a relevant topic, and it's a you know uh, it's always top of mind for all of the internal auditors out there. So, for those who want to know more about like you know what services you provide uh, for report writing skills, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Well, John, um, if they could just visit my website. Um, that would be the best way to get in touch with me. They can contact me that way. They can also have a look at quite a few articles I've written that they can click on the links and see what I've had to say and get in touch if they've got any questions or want to know more. All right. Sounds good. We'll include the uh, your website in the footnotes of the episode. So appreciate your time again. Thank you so much. Thank you.